him 332. And we're on stanza number four. On all the straight and narrow way, Its radiant beams are cast. Its radiant beams are cast. On all the straight and narrow way, its radiant beams are cast. On all the straight and narrow way, its radiant beams are cast. A light whose never weary ray grows brightest at the last. A light whose never weary ray grows brightest at the last. A light whose never weary ray grows brightest at the last. All right, so it's talking about a light that's on the straight and narrow way. Hmm. What is that light? You know it is ends up being Jesus. This one starts off talking about the book divine, though, the word. How does the word relate to Jesus? Exactly, you are right. And so we have the word that teaches us of Jesus, and yet he is the word, um, as we've taught before. So what's going on? Well, the light of God's word is shining its radiant uh, beams and showing us the right way, showing us our Savior, Jesus Christ, the way uh, to heaven. It says it is a light whose never-weary ray. Does God's word ever tire, weary of showing us Jesus? Well, of course it doesn't. Uh, what's the problem, though? We get tired, don't we? Um, we get wearied of it. We, at times, go, oh, and, and don't realize uh, that that's exactly uh, what we need, that we ought to not tire of that. It says that it grows brightest at the last. Hmm. There's a, a new thought for us. What about this? How does the light... Grow brightest at the last. Leon thinks he knows. Kind of like it starts out by telling the Bible how things are coming You know, I like that. And, and maybe that's it. Um, you're right. When Christ finally comes, we get to see him in all his glory, don't we? Um, that's not what I was thinking, but I, I thought maybe that's it. Um, what else? In fact, what I'm thinking is that the scriptures sometimes say that things are going to get worse at the end, though. Uh, not get brighter. It's not that it gets better and better, and then Christ comes back. So how does this fit? Right. It means more then than it ever will, you know, than it ever seems to do any other time. Yes, I think so. I think it's it, our lives, it's the brightest, the most important. 
at the end of our lives, what is this? The very thing that we need. The only, as you say, many other things have fallen away. There's not uh, that. And so this which is important becomes even more important uh, for us. Then we'll be purified of our sins, never to fall again. Yep. The next two verses explain the question you're asking. Oh, the next two <laughs> verses may tell us about it. Uh, too bad we're not doing those tonight. <laughs> uh, it does go on. It gladly cheers our drooping hearts in this dark veil of tears. So it is speaking of that which is uh, even in this world uh, that we might hear that teaching of the precious book divine. All right, stanza number four. On hope a straight and narrow way, its radiant beams are cast. Bright light, whose never-weary ray grows brightest at the last. We're done with the main section of the catechism, which we often refer to as the six chief parts. Now we're moving on to some other things that were included in some, but not always in all of the catechisms. You know, you've got the daily prayers, you've got the table of duties. Uh, sometimes they include a baptismal booklet or a marriage booklet of sorts. Uh, but the Christian questions with their answers is the one that we're going to take a look at. It says, prepared by Dr. Martin Luther for those who intend to go to the sacrament. So, if you're intending to go to the Lord's Supper, to receive <laughs> Lord's Supper, Luther prepared these questions with their answers. It says, after confession and instruction in the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the sacraments of baptism, and the Lord's Supper... The pastor may ask, or Christians may ask themselves, these questions. So we're going to have a, a question and answer. Why, why did Luther prepare these 20 questions for those who are getting ready to go to Lord's Supper, to the sacrament? What's that about? Ken? Ah, we talked about at the end of the sixth chief part last time, who are those who are worthy? Well, we said those who believe these words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Fasting and body preparation, that's fine. But those who believe these words. So these question and answers, are they, hmm, how are they checking out this worthy thing? Okay, so this is going to have us, and it says, the pastor may ask, or people may ask themselves, what? Why am I going? Why am I going for them? Am I going for this? Am I going for this? It could be for the wrong reason. It's, it's not a problem. Um, 
to go for the wrong reason. Yeah? yeah? <laughs> Tell me more. All right, you may not get the forgiveness of sins. That's the very thing that he wants us to receive in this. Can you receive this sacrament unworthily? And what happens? It is to our detriment, to our harm. It actually is like medicine that is taken for the wrong reason. It may be good medicine for those who are sick, but for those who are not, it might harm them. So also with this one, there is concern uh, that we might take it to our harm. Uh, to take it, not believing the words of Christ, not believing in Christ's body and blood being present in Lord's Supper, can receive it for uh, harm. And so Luther is intending to prepare us uh, that we might know what it is and why we come, and in that way, uh, trusting in Christ, we might receive it rightly. So let's begin. It's going to take us about three Wednesdays to get through all 20 questions. Question number one, do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes, yes. I believe it. I am a sinner. Again, do you believe that you are a sinner? Yes, yes I believe it. I am a sinner. How do you know this? From the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. Again, from the Ten Commandments, which I have not kept. Okay, so we're going to start off with saying, are you a sinner? And your answer is yes. All right. I guess nobody can go to Lord's Supper because you're all sinners. What do you think of that, Liam? Oh. So if you're a sinner, does that mean you can't go? <laughs> well, yes. Does once you get confirmed, are you not a sinner anymore? Ah, uh, but you know the stuff, huh? <laughs> I would say it's required that you're a sinner. It's actually required. Those who are coming, uh, for those who say I'm not a sinner, well, the Lord says. I'm giving out forgiveness here. It's for sinners. And if you don't claim to be a sinner, you got no business here. Um, in fact, you could take it to your harm then. Absolutely. Uh, you're right. Confirmation is something that uh, we in the church have set up. Uh, it's simply a way of saying what the scriptures have said concerning Lord's Supper, that we need to know, um, as 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 St. Paul says in his, uses the words of in his explanation, where he says, uh, you need to ask yourself, uh, do I recognize the body of Christ? Do I recognize what God is giving out? It's the body of Christ for forgiveness. Yes. Aren't there sinners passing it out? I think so. I think so, you bet. In fact, at least one. At le <laughs> um, I know at least one, so that makes two. Um, absolutely. And so what do you say? The Lord is using sinners hmm, 
to give out forgiveness to other sinners, isn't he? We're back to the words of institution. Given shed for you, the forgiveness of sins. Absolutely. All hinges on the words of institution. It all hangs on those words. Yes, it does. And so, when Luther starts us off with this, yes, he is starting off not with something that would get in the way, but saying, yes, this is what we would almost say is, is a requirement. Not that you want to go sin so that you can do it. The requirement is that you acknowledge, I am a sinner. That would be confession. Or Leon mentioned the word repentance quite a bit. Repentance includes an acknowledgement of your sin. How do I know that I'm a sinner? Answer, from the Ten Commandments, which I Why did God give us the Ten Commandments? To show us that we're sinners. What's the wrong answer? So we, can keep them. so we can keep them. That's not why he gave it. Right, that's the wrong answer. Why did he give us the Ten Commandments? To show us that we couldn't. We had gotten so far away from this that it was time that we had this tool to continue to remind us. Uh, yeah, absolutely, as Luke says, that even those giving it out uh, are, are sinners. And so we have this tool, the Ten Commandments. We know how to use it. Luther, at the top, talks about having instruction in the Ten Commandments. Are you sorry for your sins? Answer, yes, yes I am sorry that I have sinned against God. Again, are you sorry for your sins? Yes, I am sorry that I have sinned against God. This is what is called contrition. It's the beginning of repentance. Contrition is to acknowledge your sins as well, to acknowledge that, I wish I hadn't done it. Uh, it's to acknowledge, who have I offended? Well, yes, I've sinned against my neighbor, but even when I sin against my neighbor, I always sin against God. And so, I am sorry, wish that I hadn't, regret that I have angered, uh, sinned against my God. Next question. What have you deserved from God because of your sins? Repeat after me. His wrath and displeasure. His wrath and displeasure. Temporal death. Temporal and death. Eternal damnation. His wrath and displeasure. Temporal death and eternal damnation. His wrath and displeasure. Temporal death and eternal so, I know that I have done it, I regret that I have done it, and I know that having done this, that there are the wages of sin. That is, God has a punishment that has already been set down. What does it include? It includes his wrath, God's wrath. We have angered God. His wrath and displeasure. Pleasure. He is not pleased with this at all. He is displeased with this. Um, he is very angry. The scriptures describe us as objects of God's wrath according to our sinful nature, according to our natural state. Uh, we are born objects that have sin, and therefore God's wrath is upon us. His wrath and displeasure, temporal Death. Temporal death. What kind, of, what kind of death do we know? I can think of at least three 
that could have an adjective in front in order to explain what kind of death we're talking about. A short death. <laughs> Let me go back to the short death. A short death is when... You die at a funeral? Oh, it happens real quick. Right away. All right, well, I, you know, I guess you could die a long death um, or a short death. I guess I got to admit that's possible. Um, at times, Luther says, give us a blessed death. Um, I don't know that he's talking about make it short and quick, um, but... Luke? I was thinking about when you said um, on temporal death, it doesn't mean like you're not, you don't get in death for this. I think he's talking about like when you raise the dead, everyone's going to be dead, and then you're going to see go to heaven and go to hell. So, like temporary is what you're thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. Temporary. Actually, um, and you're right. Um, we, are, we are talking about something that is just momentary or just happens for a little bit. Um, but like the word temporary um, means for in time, in time, temporal comes from the Latin word tempus, which means time. This means death in time, as opposed to a death that would be outside of time, that is, would go on forever. So we are talking about a death, a death that's in, when we talk about in time, temporal death, well, is the death that will be connected with a funeral, in which body and soul separate. Normally it's followed by a funeral, but you know what? I don't know if you're that far off, Luke, because when Christ comes back from, comes back again, Who's going to rise up from the grave? And and all unbelievers. Does that leave anybody else? No. So I guess this death here in this world, hmm, you get raised up from it again. I guess it is temporary, even if it lasts for a thousand years or whatever. Um, hmm. He's going to raise all the dead up. But only believers... Get what when they're raised up? Heaven. Unbelievers get hell. Get hell, which is a different kind of death. What do we call that? Eternal death, a death that goes on forever, a death that is outside of time. Um, so we at least talk about temporal death, the death in this world, meaning in this world. And then we talk about an eternal death, that is, which is given to unbelievers. And we talk about hell or the lake of fire, that kind of thing. There's another kind of death. Sometimes we use it to describe what happens to, oh, Adam and Eve in the garden. They, God said, in the day you eat of it, you will die. And yet, that very 24-hour period, they didn't experience temporal death. Yeah, we usually call it spiritual death. What do we mean by that? It is. It is something in relating to we have lost our image of God. We have 
uh, lost. And so, with that, can we now uh, understand spiritual things? No. Paul says that we are dead in our transgressions and sins. That is, we are not alive. Even if the Spirit comes, we would not know. We don't know spiritual things, and so we're dead to that. Um, That's how bad our situation is. And so we need someone, as the Scriptures describe, who by the power of God, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. God is the one who has to... uh, find us. He is the one who has to bring us back from the dead. And just like a dead body, there's nothing we can do. So we talk about temporal death. We get to the last and eternal damnation. Damning? uh, We talk about blessing. We talk about damning. Uh, Blessing is to renounce the words that your sins are forgiven, that you are blessed uh, with that account of the sheep and the goats. Uh, Jesus uh, says, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Um, But then he says to those who are rejected his salvation, he says to them, you cursed ones, depart from me. And what happens? They are given the words of damnation. That is, they are told they are not blessed. They are cursed. Um, And so we have eternal damnation. We say, what have we deserved because of our our sin? God's wrath, his displeasure, death in this world. In fact, even to get a death that would be forever. So we acknowledge that's where we are. Five, do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my hope. Again, do you hope to be saved? Wow, what a turning point. Huh? Going from one, two, three, four. Sin, to commandments, sorry for sins, I deserve all this, and yet I have that hope to be saved. Now, is that, boy, I hope so. Maybe it'll happen, I don't know. I know it'll happen. That's where we say, that is my hope. I'm confident of it. I know. The only thing I know is that I don't have it yet. And it's going to be in the future. So that's why I have to say hope. If I had it right now, I'd say it was mine. But I say, that is my hope. Because I know he's going to give it to me. So a better way maybe of asking this question might be, do you have confidence in your salvation? Yes. Would that be a better way to put it? Yeah. And, you know. have written it better than that. <laughs> I mean, um, German, No, I like No, I think what Luther is doing is he's using the words of Scripture. And the Scriptures do speak of faith, hope, and love. And that hope in the Scriptures is always a confident thing. So Luther's simply using the Scripture words, and he's using them in the right way. But I think you're very right. What's going on? We don't think that way, you know. Uh, Is it going to rain tomorrow? Oh, I hope so. You know, which means it's probably not. I mean, hope for us often, I mean, that's crazy. It expresses doubt. Yeah, something I'm doing. I'm, yes, yes. Um, And, and, but that's not the way the scriptures speak. And so it it has been, you know, again, it's one of those, yeah, the devil messes with everything, even if he can mess with the language, right? Um, So you're right. If I change the question, uh, uh, are you confident that you will be saved? Yes. Yes. 
What's your percent? 100%. Now, how can you be 100% sure of this thing? Uh, how can you say there's not? Because we're not doing it. <laughs> I got God's word on this matter. Tell me, if you're a sinner, Liam, um, how sure can I be of anything that you do? Uh, <laughs> well, I'll always be wondering. I think 100%. Oh. 100% you're always going to be a sinner. So I can be 100% sure that what? He'll be a sinner. He'll mess it up. If I give you something to do, I can be 100% sure. Huh? At least spiritually speaking. So, who does the saving? How about this, Liam? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. Who did the loving? God. That he sent his only begotten son. Who did the sending? God. That whoever believes in him, do you know who creates faith in your heart? God. Through his word, right? That they will have eternal life. Who gives eternal life? God. All right. If God is doing all those things, how sure can you be of your salvation? That's it. So, do you hope to be saved? Yes, that is my... In whom then do you trust? In my dear Lord Jesus Christ. In whom then do you trust? In my dear Lord Jesus Christ. Who is Christ? The Son of God, true God and man. The Son of God, true God and man. So, we know who Jesus Christ is. We know who he is. He is the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. That is, if, if, if he is begotten of the Father, then he must be of the same essence as the Father himself. And so we say he is equal he, to God. He is God. Hmm, we're going to get to that tonight in our text. The Son of God. And we know something else about him. That he has two natures. True God and man. He is both have a divine nature and a human nature. And so uh, we're going to trust in the one who is the Son of God, who came down on our behalf and took upon himself uh, true flesh. How many gods are there? Repeat after me. Only one. But there are three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How many gods are there? Only one. But there are three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Last question for tonight is number nine. What has Christ done for you that you trust in him? Answer, he died for me. He died for me. And shed his blood for me. On the cross. For the forgiveness of sins. He died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He died for me and shed his blood for me on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. Right. And so, we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what did he do? 
he had a job to do. And his job was to die. To die for me and shed his blood. Blood is a human attribute. It is that which comes from a human nature. You can't shed blood if you're God only. You have to be true God and true man. True man has flesh and blood. Jesus, therefore, takes on a human nature that he might die and shed his blood for us. But you say that blood is just, just a human thing. Well, yes, but if he is true God, that blood can wash away sins. That blood can give us life. And so, as we're talking about coming to the sacrament, what do we want to know? Well, first, we wanted to know that we needed this. And we said, absolutely, we're a sinner. And we said, nevertheless, I know that I have a Savior, and it was Jesus Christ. And as we're getting ready to come up and take the body and blood of Christ, we say, he shed his blood for me. That benefits that comes, the life-giving blood, as the scriptures say, uh, are the benefits that I come to receive. So I need to know, what am I coming to receive? The life-giving blood of, of Jesus. Questions? All right, that gets us through one through nine. We'll take a look at 10 next time. Let me light the candles and we'll begin. O oh Lord, open my lips. Make haste, O oh God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. Praise to you, O Christ, Lamb of our salvation. You may be seated. The reading is on the back of the bulletin. It's John chapter 8, beginning at verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you, 
dishonor me, and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, Yet you said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. This is God's word. The hymn is hymn 332. How precious is the book divine by inspiration given. Bright as a lamp its teaching shine to guide our souls to heaven. Its light descending from above our gloomy world to cheer. Displays our Savior's boundless love and brings his glories near. It shows to us our wandering ways and where our feet have trod and brings to view the matchless grace of our forgiving God. On all the straight and narrow way, its radiant beams are cast. A light whose never weary ray grows brightest at the last. It gladly cheers our drooping hearts in this dark veil of tears. Life, peace, and joy its light imparts and quells our rising fears. This lamp through all the tedious night of light shall guide our way. 
Till we behold the clearer light of an eternal day. In the text, or right before the text, Jesus has just heard them say that God is their only Father. They have God as their Father. Jesus begins with a contrary to fact statement. If God were your Father, and the implication is, and he is not, oh, they claim God is their Father, and he said, God is not your Father. Why does he say God is not their father? If God were your father, you would love me. Hmm. You would Why would you love Jesus? If God were your father, he says you would love Jesus. Liam, why? Um, I don't know how to explain this, but since God and Very good. Um, let's tweak your words just a little bit. They are all, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all one. But one, one God. So even though they are different persons, they're all one God. They're all equal, right? So you're right. Exactly what you said. If you love the Father... Well, you ought to love the Son, you ought to love the Holy Spirit. You're right, these are together. You can't separate them out. It would be like saying, I, you know, this is my arm, but this one is not. No, they, they, they all have to, it's all together. So absolutely. More than that, we find out something else. Oh, go ahead. What do you want to tell me? Good. So Jesus, the Son of God, comes down from heaven. Who is the only one who has seen God the Father? Jesus. When he comes to tell us about the Heavenly Father, of course they ought to believe what he says, but they don't. Well, maybe since the apostles didn't just preach about God, they preached about Jesus too. And So they didn't see Jesus as being the promised one, the one who was to come, did they? In fact, they reject him completely. In fact, more than that, Jesus says that they're trying to kill him. Is that true? Yes. In fact, they had already made plans. This is Holy Week. This is already going on. You are right. 
So they're looking for this particular person, or they want this particular person, as you said, a king who's going to overthrow the Romans, who's going to have this power, who's going to... Jesus doesn't fit that description. You're right. Hmm. Why do you think they want that? So they won't have any problems. <laughs> yes. Their problems, what they're really concerned about is... Getting rid of those Romans, that's what they want. God is really concerned about their sin. God is really concerning sending Jesus to giving them a heavenly kingdom, not just an earthly kingdom without... So you're right, what's going on? Why do they have this false misconception? Where did they get this wrong ideas? Where does this come from? They were crying out. The people were later. Where did they get these ideas? From the, devil. from the devil. Really? Jesus says that the Word of God teaches something else. And if you're getting these ideas, they're not getting it from the Word. Now, that is the point. They're not getting it from the Word. Where did Jesus come down from? He came from God the Father. He was sent. Hmm. That is, you know, when someone comes and they knock at your door and they say, I'm here, and you say, well, why do you let me in? I say, well, so-and-so sent me. Oh, well, if you're coming on their behalf, all right, come on in. You know, if so-and-so, God the Father sent him. He was authorized and he says, I was sent from God, and I have come. Now, he's not just restating what he said before. When he says, I have come, he means, and I'm doing the stuff I'm supposed to be doing. Right? I was sent, and here I am doing it. I've come, I'm doing it. And so he here is doing the very thing that the Word said, God's Word. But they're not so much concerned about the Word. Um... He says, I have not come by myself. He sent me. So you're going to, I mean, if, if the Father sent me, then you're going to have to deal with what the Father, the Father wants me here. The Father wants me to, you to believe in me. You're right. That wasn't in the Word. But they're getting that from their own ideas, aren't they? And so we go, where do we get that? Jesus is finally going to say, if you reject me, you're getting that from the devil. How could you love the Father and then reject That doesn't make sense. Jesus is pointing that out. This is not simply a matter of them needing a little teaching. It's not that they are confused. They are hardened in this. Jesus has been teaching and teaching and teaching. He's been doing miracles and showing who he is. He has been everything that the scripture says. So when he gets to this with his enemies, he poses to them two questions. He says, can any of you... Can any of you show me guilty, convict me of sin? This first question. Can you show me any point at which I have sinned? 
Did he sin? Did he fight back? Did he have anger in his heart? Nope. No. He reached out to them. He even said, Father, forgive them. Had Jesus ever sinned? No, they couldn't prove it. They couldn't prove even one point of it. There are, and I, I'm not there. I don't know. You're right. You look at this and kind of go, boy, I wish I would have seen. There are those who held to the word of God. There are those who were taught. That is the multitudes who did it. It's sad, though, that what do we see? And you're right. We see leaders in God's church at that time rejecting Jesus completely. Now, we have that today as well. But, yeah, um, I don't know. I, I can't, that's a what if that I can't put myself in. Even the apostles, it took them time. You're right. Now, they trusted him. Were they weak? Yes. They weren't denying him like these, though. These had the word of God and rejected it. They knew what the word said. I mean, you know people that don't know God's word, and so you tell them something, they go, really, that's in God's word? These are those who knew the word of God, and yet they rejected him. I mean, this is not a little thing that's going on. Liam? Well, these men, you might say, why were they leaders in God's church if they rejected Jesus and didn't even have God as their father? They still were up in front. They were still doing things in God's church. Why do you think they were doing those things? worse than that. It's worse. It's much worse. Why was it? Yeah. They, they said, oh, this is a good thing. I can have power. I can have authority. I can stand up before people. Um, they trusted in themselves as their own God. They thought that they were a, a, a blessing to God by themselves. They didn't need anyone else. They were rejecting the whole thing. Um, we tend to come to this passage and we tend to go, oh, well, maybe they didn't know. Maybe we kind of, we kind of like put, kind of like, then maybe there's a little doubt or whatever. No, no, no. These are those who, I mean, put it, I mean, to, to think of it, these are those who have been in church every Sunday for a year and have been taught, 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 and then they come to here and they go, no, absolutely not. You are not God's son. You, di you weren't sent. We reject you completely. In fact, you're demon-possessed. You're, you're, you're spitting out devilish doctrines when Jesus is telling the truth. This is a, a hardened unbelief. This is not just wavering. This is not uh, uh, you, you know, at times kind of going, oh, I'm in trouble, trouble going to church, or I didn't really know. Right. This is what we have. This is where it's come. And in fact, Lent has kind of been leading us to this. 
And it's been leading us to his, he's run into the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and, and he's bumped into them, and, you know, they, they fought against him, and you kind of go, well, maybe they'll come around. And, you know, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, you know, and, then, and, and, and each time there are those who want to come and make him a bread king. There are those who are on, and finally we get to this Sunday. This is, this is Judica Sunday. It's right before Palm Sunday, which begins his, uh, the account of his passion. Okay, so what do we have? We have kind of the final rejection. Can you show out my sin? Do I have any sin, Jesus says? They cannot. He says, all right, if I'm telling you the truth, can you tell me one false thing that I'm saying? No, they couldn't do that either. Jesus, he says, then why don't you believe me? The question is asked, uh, uh, why can't you, why don't you understand my speech? Why don't you understand my speech? The reason they don't understand his... Now, what is his speech? It's the word of God. It's the Heavenly Father's words. It's the teaching of God's word. It's the true faith that we all hold to. Why don't they understand when he says these things? They never have. What now? They never have. They never have. That's what he says in the next sentence. Exactly. They never did understand it. They don't have faith. There were, there were people back then that were being taught correctly and they got right. faith from the word back then too. If God were their father, they would have had faith. They don't have faith. So they're not listening to the father's words. And if you're not listening, if you don't know the father's words, if you don't know God's word, then you're not going to believe Jesus. And so we see it kind of going a full circle. Whoever it is who is of God, here's God's words. Hmm. That's it. If you're a child of God, you're going to listen to your Heavenly Father. If you're not a child of God, you're, you don't even know what he's talking about. I'm not even listening to him. In fact, Jesus goes on to tell them even more. What do they say? Well, they accuse him of being a Samaritan, and they accuse him of having a demon. The Samaritan accusation is one of immorality. Uh, they're trying to say that either his virgin birth was uh, uh, not a true virgin birth, or they're saying that the, he is living like the Samaritans who often lived in a moral life. Um, they only had part of the word of God. They lived like Canaanites. When they say he has a demon, they're saying he's spitting out false teaching. He's speaking out demonic thoughts, demonic teachings. They deny both things. They have no proof, but they simply say it. Um, uh, that is, they won't accept uh, what he is saying. And so he says... I don't have a demon. That is, I speak the truth. I don't speak demonic things. If you're talking about my teaching, my teaching is absolutely pure. Does he deny, does he talk about their accusation of him being a Samaritan? Not at all. He lets that slide. Um, that is, if you want to, well slander me, it's false slander, but if you want to slander me, Jesus says, I'll bear it. Luke, you talked about it on the cross. I think Leon did too, where they made fun of him, they nailed him, whatever. Fine. But if you're going to deal with the word of God, that needs to be defended at all costs. Uh, and so Jesus says, oh, absolutely not. And he goes on to say, now, the Father seeks glory, and yes, he wants me to have honor, but that is the Father's doing. It's not my job. I'll leave that up to God uh, to defend me in that matter. But he is going to go on to say, 
If anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Jesus says that his words can deliver from death. Hmm. We have believers, and they die. Hmm. And I might do their funeral. We might even bring their casket here and uh, put it right up against the Paschal candles, a reminder that they've been baptized. And you might say, did they see death? Did they taste death? And you say, Jesus says they did not. Jesus says, like the scriptures, that they went through the shadow of death, that they went through what pierced, and yet, like a sleep, hmm, it wasn't death. It wasn't eternal damnation. It wasn't punishment. It wasn't, what was it? It's now a gateway. It's like opening up a door and going into heaven. Uh, the thief who died on the cross uh, woke up in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so death is not what it was. It's been defeated. Uh, and so Jesus says he will overcome that. He will, uh, those who keep his word will not see death. They get all bent out of shape and say, are you greater than Abraham then? Well, of course he is. <laughs> In fact, he declares that Abraham is alive. He declares that Abraham didn't see death, but that he is alive. Uh, he, Abraham, they would claim to be children of Abraham as well, um, but Jesus has already denied that about them before. If Abraham was pointing forward to Jesus... Abraham rejoiced in the thought of seeing Jesus. And when he died, he got to see that, the beatific vision. He got to see uh, Jesus himself, and he says he rejoiced. He got to receive all that was promised to him. They say, who do you make yourself out to be? Well, who does he make himself out to be? The Son of God. Um, absolutely. And so here is what he is doing. And he says, um, a little Greek lesson, uh, there are two words for to know. When Jesus says, I know the Father, he uses the word oida, I know. This is an intimate knowledge. Um, if you can think about the most intimate relationship of a man and a woman in the Old Testament talks about, and he knew his wife, this is the oida word. This is intimate communion fellowship. This is God and the Father. I know oida. And then he gets to them, and after saying that he knows the Father, he says, uh, you have not known him. He uses another word, genosko, which is simply, you would say, uh, a knowledge of a, of a friendship. It would be a matter of, uh, do you know? Um, do you know Joe Smith? Do you know him who lives down the street? Oh yeah, yeah. I, well, I, 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 I know of him. I know that kind of thing. He says they don't even have a passing knowledge, and yet Jesus speaks about this intimate knowledge that he has of the Father. They pick up on what he says. He says, "I'm not." They say, "You're not yet 50 years old." He says, "In here, what are you doing? If you're, are you really claiming to be the Son of God?" They think he's going to back down. And he does not. When it gets to the very end, Jesus says, most assuredly, or amen, amen, I say to you, before Abraham was, that is, before Abraham came in existence, I am, I existed. Literally, that's what the words mean. 
but it means much more than even that. Is it Right. The Old Testament, whenever Jesus wanted to teach about himself, he went to the Old Testament. They had that. The New Testament then just explains the very things that the Old Testament did. Um, but yeah, we got Jesus teaching. Jesus says, I am. If you look up at our stained glass window at the very top where it has the burning bush, um, God tells him, Moses, I am who I am. It is the way of God saying, not I will be, or not I was, and I'm done, but there is never a time when I didn't exist. I am, you're talking about the past? Yeah, I am there. Future? Yep, I am there. Right now, I am. I exist. It's the present tense that, that goes on in both directions forever. When Jesus gets to the end, he says, even before Abraham existed, and there was a point at which Abraham did not exist, all of us uh, at our conception come into existence, he says, I am. They understand. They may not believe a word of what he says, but they understand that he is claiming to be equal with God. And so what do they do? They pick up stones, and they're going to kill him. In the Old Testament, if you claim to be God and were not, that's called blasphemy. It is, you are guilty of death. And so they show by their unbelief that they're going to try to kill him. What Jesus has said earlier has in fact come true. Um, he, does not, he does not die by their stones at this point, for it is not his time. But he says, your father the devil. And then he says, what did your, what's your father like? Well, he's a liar. And guess what? They've learned to lie just like their father. And he's a murderer. And guess what they're doing? Seeking to murder. And so in all ways, he has finally gotten to the end, we would say, of this particular thing, showing that they are to be set aside. They are to be, they, they've heard it all, and yet they have denied it. Um, it's a little like Pharaoh, um, having received all of the teaching, but tenfold later, there is nothing left. Um, by the end of the week, he will die. Uh, but he has had to teach, and he is doing it here. Questions, comments? All right, let's get out our responsive prayer for catechesis. Prayer request this evening. All right, please stand. Holy God, holy and most gracious Father, you shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. He says, 
I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers, to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. We implore you, Almighty God, mercifully to look upon your people that by your great goodness they may be governed and preserved evermore in body and soul through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, 
one God, now and forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. O God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works, give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being defended from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. The Lord bless us, defend us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life.